You're listening to Deliberate Living, a podcast that inspires, empowers, and encourages listeners to live life more authentically. My name is Holly Priestley, and I'm a full-time nomad and creator who has been living in my 1997 Ford van since January 1st of 2019. I travel the United States with my dog, learning how to live with more authenticity. I explore different ways people choose to ditch the prescribed life we've all been sold and live on their terms, finding freedom and happiness however they choose. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Deliberate Living Podcast. I am your host, Holly Priestley, and this week we have my friend Sammy McGowan on the show, and I am so excited to share her story with you guys. Um, She is a solo female traveler. She travels with the most adorable, tiniest little dog, and they live in a truck back camper, slide in truck back camper. They've been in their truck camper for full time for 10 months. She's had the camper for about a year, and um, Sammy uh, was based in Montana for a while first, and then got to spend her first winter in Arizona this last winter. That's where we met. She got to see the light of like literally the light of winter because there's no light in winter in Montana, but there is in Arizona. Um, And I'm just so excited to have her on the show because I think that her journey has been super interesting to watch. She's very vulnerable. She's very honest and authentic with what's going on in her life and the, the challenges and the joys and the celebrations Um, and, uh, she's maintained a job throughout the whole thing. So I think that that's something that like people always have questions about. Can you do a regular job, et cetera, et cetera. So without further ado, hello, Sammy. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. (laughs) Um, so for the people who don't know you, aren't following you, don't know your story. Can you give a, a brief little, you know, high level synopsis of, how you got into the camper and what your first almost year has been like? Yeah. Um, so I moved to Montana in, uh, let's see, 2018. Um, I, at the time was working seasonally, um, as a hiking guide in Denali. Um, and so every year I had been working in Alaska for the last four summers. And so every winter I would move somewhere new. Um, and at the time I had a partner and we had decided to move to whitefish, Montana, just kind of like sight unseen. It's an adventure. We're only going to be there for six months anyway. So like whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, and at that time I had started feeling, um, that I didn't want to be moving every six months anymore. And so when we did move to Montana and started, you know, setting down roots, I was just suddenly like, I don't want to leave. Um, I really just want a community. Um, so that's how I ended up in Montana. Um, and then I didn't, what I didn't know about Montana, um, was that in the winter, it's just not sunny. Like it's a hundred percent normal to not see any sun for two weeks. Um, and I, what I didn't know about myself was that actually the sun affected my mental health a lot. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and apparently, you know, despite the terrible cold, the amount of snow we got, it was sunny after those storms. So in Montana, it's not as cold, not as, you know, as much snowpack, but I, I mean, literally we wouldn't see the sun for weeks. And I mean, I was warned, but I was like, oh, it'll be fine. And I was taking vitamin D and whatever. And I was just miserable. And every year after that, it just got worse and worse. And so my third winter in Montana at the time, I was a outdoor pre-K and kindergarten teacher. 
And we were outside hundred percent of the time, basically. I mean, it was in the winter is more like 80, but I was outside all the time. And even then I was still like not getting enough sun. Um, I think in the middle of January, I just like looked at my boss and was like, I'm not going to be here next winter. Like it was just like literally like a moment of like clarity. And I just turned to her and I was like, just don't count on me being here. I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know like where, how I'm going to be living there, but I just know I'm going to be in the desert. Like that's all I know. Um, and yeah, from that day on, I just was like researching, um, basically rigs, like what could I afford? Um, what type of rig did I want at the time I had a Honda CRV. And so I was trying to like figure out if there was a way I could keep my car and have a pull behind, but those like super lightweight rigs are like 40 or $50,000. And so I was like, okay, so that's not an option. And so just trying to imagine like, okay, if I have to buy a truck, like, what does that look like? I've never owned a truck. And so, um, yeah, it was basically just me like pouring over Facebook marketplace for months and months. And then finally I came across a truck and a truck bed camper being sold together. And I was like, this is it. (laughs) I don't have to make any decisions about weight or like gross vehicle maximum, blah, blah, blah. Like things that I had been like studying and trying to learn and being very upset and confused by. And I suddenly was like, I don't have to worry about that. I know that it works together. So I went and looked at it and I got a loan and I, I purchased it. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's awesome. How did you first discover living on the road? I mean, was that, I mean, you've worked seasonal jobs and I, and seasonal jobs and road people really overlap quite a bit. Is that how it was introduced to you? Totally. Um, so yeah, the backstory of that was kind of, um, funny. I, uh, was actually, I got a business degree and from a very expensive school in DC, um, and went into marketing at a, you know, full-time job, uh, marketing job right after college. And, um, by happenstance, I went on vacation with my mom and extended family to Alaska for, I think like about a year into that. And I had already like realized that my job was making me miserable and it wasn't right for me. So I was already like doing what I had to do to like, get out of it. I had gotten a second job as a waitress to like save up a bunch of money at the time. It was just to travel. I didn't know. I didn't like have any concrete plans, but then I went to Alaska and was being, you know, had a hiking guide and a rafting guide and a fishing guide. And they were all like my age. And I was just like, I'm wait, I'm sorry. Like this exists as an option for people like me. Like, and then I was like, you know, what do you do in the winter? And they're like, I find somewhere in the winter that like has a seasonal job or I travel or I go to school or whatever. And I was just like a hundred percent baffled that this existed. And I had no idea it existed. So anyway, three days into that trip, I turned to my mom and said, yeah, I'm going to go back and quit my job and do this next summer instead. Um, so that was kind of my, that like foray into that was like my first step into anything that was like an alternative, any alternate, there was no other path before then. Like there was one path that I was raised on that my parents had done and I was on the same path. And, um, I would love to say that, like, I always felt that I didn't belong on that path. That's a hundred percent. Not true. I was like a hundred percent comfortable in that path. 
um, you know, thrived in that type of environment, was very competitive, wanted to be, you know, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company at the time. And, um, and then I just was miserable and saw an alternate path and like literally in a split second, just decided that that was the path for me. It just, I had never felt like home anywhere else. So then I quit my very well-paying marketing job and like I sold almost everything I owned. Um, I mean, this was someone, I was someone who had like two large closets, a hundred pairs of shoes, like a lot of physical belongings. And I took a backpack, like a backpacking pack and a suitcase with me to Alaska. And that was it. And lived off of that for the first summer. And, um, it's just crazy to look back at like the different people I've been. Um, so anyway, yeah, once I got to Alaska, you know, I was surrounded by people where this was their norm. They'd been doing it forever. They, some of them did live out of their vehicles. Um, so that was the first time I ever thought of like living out of my vehicle, probably not right away, because I think even still the first summer I was like, what am I doing with my life? I can't believe I did this. Like I'm being paid $9 an hour. And you know, so it took me a while, but then eventually I was like, yeah, living in a van will be great. Um, but that was kind of more of just like a, a fun dream. And then eventually it became like a dream out of necessity for my mental health. Yeah. That's really interesting. I like the way you, uh, worded that, like it, it was a dream and then it became a dream out of necessity. Um, and I fully understand that and totally respect that. It sounds like some of the steps along your journey have been like, split second, like I'm not coming back to this next year or I'm leaving my job, you know, next summer I'm going to be up in Alaska. Um, and I think that, you know, like you said, just exposure to different ideas and exposure to alternate ways of living and doing life and, you know, not going to an expensive school and living in an expensive city and owning a hundred pairs of shoes. Like that's a way to do life. And if that's how you want to do life, by all means, go do it. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's not right for everybody. And so much of us, were not given options growing up. I mean, I definitely wasn't, I had the same, like, you know, you're going to go to college and you're going to get a degree. Like not going to college was not an option. Like it didn't even cross my mind that you wouldn't do something other than college after high school. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and it took me the same kind of process. Like I tried to do, get jobs for other people and like work in different industries and like buy a house and do all the things that you're supposed to do. And I was Mm -hmm. miserable and I couldn't figure out why I thought there was something wrong with me. Like I wasn't doing it right. Everybody else is so happy running this, this life that, you know, we've been prescribed since we were kids and it's just not fucking true. Mm-hmm. And so like, I love hearing stories of like, you know, I, I tried, I gave it a good valiant effort and it didn't work. And so I went and did yeah. this other thing. Um, and so you said that when you moved to Whitefish originally, you had a partner and then you moved into the truck by yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Was the truck ever a thing that you were thinking of doing with two people? Or was that always like a, just a you thing? Um, so my partner at the time, and I met in Alaska. And so we had both been working seasonally for around the same amount of time. So just being surrounded by the same types of people and kind of, you know, exposed to that type of life. Um, we both individually had dreams of being, uh, van lifers. And then when we were together, we, um, actually at some point we purchased a, uh, a large, uh, 
camper. It was, um, I can't remember. It was like kind of like a Winnebago, but it wasn't that brand. Um, with, with the plan of like revamping it. Um, but we both were just really busy at the time and, um, I was struggling with seasonal depression. So I wasn't super motivated to do things and ended up just sitting in our our driveway. And so we ended up selling it, um, right before we split, but, um, yeah, we did imagine doing that together at some point. Um, but, uh, I lived like without a partner in a house for two years before I even bought my own rig. Um, so I think it was like, it was right. Well, yeah, maybe only a year. It was right before the pandemic that we split. And then I bought the rig like a year later. Yeah. So, um, and yeah, it was just kind of like going off of my intuition. Like you, you mentioned like how you liked how it's just like in a split second, I made this decision. And, um, like looking back at all of these, like really life-changing decisions, um, it's all been when I've been really in tune with my intuition. Um, it's, it, it was like this overwhelming, like all knowing feeling that like consumes your body. Like, you know, I think I once someone asked me, it was like, how do you know it's right? And it was like, you know, I'm the queen of like overthinking things. Like I, <laughs> if you're into Enneagram, I'm a type one Enneagram. Um, like we're really hard on ourselves. We're like, you know, love being like perfect, um, to ourselves. We're like our biggest, uh, basically we were the hardest on ourselves. Um, we hold ourselves to really high standards. So anyway, um, I'm really great at overthinking and thinking of all of the angles at which something can go wrong. Um, but it has always been in the like moments of just like deep knowing that I've made these decisions that have ended up being the decisions that have changed my life for the better. Um, and that's how I tell people like, when you know, something is right. It's just, it's not like an anxiety. Like there's a different feeling to anxiety. It's like, instead it's, you know, I think most of us can imagine or know what anxiety feels like. It just feels like, you know, like our, you know, our heart hurts or like our chest feels tight or like it's worrisome. Whereas like the intuition is just like, it's more like a calmness and it's just like, yeah, that's the right decision. And there's no like question about it. Yeah. So I, I mean, I feel exactly the same way. That's how I felt with my van journey. And it didn't occur to me that doing it by myself was like wrong or bad until other people were like, you're going to do that alone. I'm like, mm. yes, I am. <laughs> I'm single right now. Like I'm going to do this alone. And even if I wasn't, if my partner didn't want to do it, I would still do it. Cause I know this is the right thing for me. Did you mm-hmm. get any of that feedback from people? Was any, was your family and friends like, Oh no, this is just Sammy. That's what she does. Or did you yeah. get that like fear-based response? Um, I think by this point I had already done so many things by myself (laughs) that it was no longer a surprise. Um, so no, I actually like didn't get any of that pushback because it was just at that point they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, for you, (laughs) because that's what you do apparently. Um, but yeah, I would say in the beginning of like, you know, this solo female churn, I mean, because I've traveled quite a bit by myself, um locally nationally and internationally. Um, and so 
yeah, at this point, like getting a, you know, my mom was almost just like, oh, thank God you'll have like a solid vehicle around you. You know, like it was more of like an, uh, it was an upscale. Cause it was like better than like backpacking through South America with just a tent or whatever, you know, it felt like almost more secure for her. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I think that's amazing. Like, oh, thank God she's going to have a truck. She's going to have a place to be rather than just like on her feet with a backpack and a thumb. <laughs> like, yep. Yeah. That's awesome. That's how you so, know you set your life up right is when you become a van lifer and your parents are like, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Oh man, that's amazing. Yeah, my parents, my parents were kind of like, okay, cool. Like we expect this from you, whatever. Um, and I think it was just like the rest of society who was like, alone? Mm. Yes, alone. I would say, yeah, the most pushback I've gotten are from strangers. Um and I, I'm not very like obvious when I'm in town in terms of like van lifing and stuff. Like I try to, you know, as if you probably understand, like as a female traveling alone, like I'm not marketing the fact that I am alone, you know? Um, so I'm very careful. So I don't get a lot of feedback publicly because it's not being publicized. Um, yeah. but there has been a, on occasion where Um, like I'm specifically thinking of one time I was in downtown Phoenix and I was just like roaming around one of their art nights. Um, Charlie and I were just like walking around and they had all their art galleries open. And, um, this guy was just like very pushy in terms of like chatty chattiness. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wasn't near my rig or anything. So I felt comfortable because he was like, very like, what are you doing? Like, are you visiting? And I was like, sort of, I kind of live here right now. And he's like, what does that mean? And I'm like, (laughs) um, so eventually I was like, I live in my, my vehicle in my camper. And he was like alone. And I was like, yes. And he was like, do you have a dad? And I was like, like, what? yes. Like, what does that have to do with anything? And he was like, I would never let my daughter. And I was like, and this guy was oh. like 80 years old or something like 70 or 80. And I'm like, I, luckily your daughter is old enough to make her own decisions at uh-huh. this point. Sure. <laughs> But like the fact that he was like, I would never like let my daughter do that. And I was like, your daughter is like her own person. I do what she want to do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and so I got pretty defensive with him. And like, I was like, this is, it was like my first argument as a van lifer with someone, you know, oh, and man. um, in terms of like that lifestyle, but it was a hundred percent fear-based around me being a woman. Yep. Cause I was like, oh, so cause he, what he ended up saying was, men are pigs. You don't know what they're going to do to you. And I was like, Oh, I see. So because your gender can't control themselves around my gender, my gender has to be the one that doesn't live their life out of fear that your gender might rape me. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was just like, very upset at that point too, like trying to keep my cool, but I was just like, okay, so you're telling me that I have to live in fear because I should be afraid of a man raping me or hurting me or killing me or whatever. So it was like entirely not the fact that I can't do it, but it was like, I should be afraid of someone else hurting me while I'm doing it. Right. And I was like, first of all, I take so many precautions, like more than men probably even possibly imagine. Oh my God. Um, So much more so many. And then second of all, like the fact that I even have to do that is upsetting. But then now that you're sitting here telling me that like, 
no matter what you do, someone's still probably going to hurt you. Like, do you see how upsetting that is that like, that is not my problem. That is a problem with men. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, I'm hundred percent of rapes are caused by rapists. Right. And I'm not going to let just not do that. (laughs) Right. And I'm not going to let the fear of possibly being hurt. Like, let me not do what I want. Make me stay at home for my whole life. I don't know. Yeah. Don't live. Don't let fear like rule your life. Obviously. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, so many people do, but I think that, you know, people who have hit the road, especially women who have hit the road alone, like you get, you, you are afraid. We do have to worry about things that men never have to worry about. We get asked questions. Men never get asked. We have to take precautions. Men never even fucking consider. And I will soapbox about it all goddamn day, but (laughs) it's so annoying and I hate it. Um, but at the same time, if I let fear rule my life, like I would not be the person that I am. I would not have the life that I have. I would be a shell of a human being with, you know, just a teeny tiny soul who is sad all the time. And that's no way to live. And I think that, you know, you living your life the way you live your life, like whether you realize it or not, like you're impacting other people, especially other women and potentially like other young women who are looking at you like, oh, when I'm her age, maybe I'll do that. Or even older women, like, ah, man, she's, she's doing, I could do that too. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, yeah, like, like we said before, like representation matters and exposure to these new ideas and these new ways of life fucking matter. And I've had conversations with men too, who kind of have that same, um, you know, conversation around like fear and like women doing anything at all, (laughs) much less living on the road alone. And I'll have those questions with them. Like, would you have, like, you have a son who's my age. Like, should I be afraid of him? Mm. Did you raise your son to be a terrible person? Like, are you a terrible person? Should I not be having this conversation with you right now? I, I'll put people on the spot like that. And that's yeah. not always a very safe thing to do, but <laughs> I'll do it anyway. Um, yeah. Because like, I mean, I try to be smart about it and read the room and all of that, but like, yeah, people need to like consider what they're saying sometimes. And like, how they're living their lives and how they're projecting onto others. And I don't think that's a very good idea. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and like you said, like, it's not that we aren't afraid. In fact, like Mm -hmm. I live probably way more with fear than I would want to admit, you know, like it's sometimes you just like, can't shake that like thought. And I think it's because like we are raised in this fear-based society, especially as women, like you need to, constantly be thinking about all these things. And so it's just heightened now when you have a vehicle as your home. Um, and so, I mean, like I have backpacked solo all the time and people are like, aren't you afraid you're going to come across a bear or a mountain lion? And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like I actually understand bears and mountain (laughs) lions more. And I feel less afraid when I'm alone in the wilderness with the chance of coming up to a bear than I am when I'm alone and I come up to a man and then we're the only ones there. Like I, like people are, I carry my bear spray sometimes even in the desert. And they're like, you know, you don't have to carry that. There's not bears here. And I'm like, it's not for bears. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't own a gun. And this is, this is a very powerful weapon and it's not for bears. It is for other humans. And that's like the sad fact is that I feel like more comfortable coming upon a bear than I do a large man in the middle of nowhere. So hundred percent. And I think so many of my 
women friends and I have had that exact same conversation. Like I would so much rather be alone. I am not afraid of wildlife. I am not afraid of the elements more than I am afraid of other people. Mm-hmm. And like that sucks. But yeah. at the same time, after having, I, I was on the road for three years and you've been on the road for almost a year. And I know that after some amount of time, you know, you're still afraid of people, but you're not, you have that, that growing sense of confidence and capability and empowerment of like, yeah, things are scary. Um, but I'm going to do what I'm going to do anyway. So can you tell me what the first few months of living in your truck camper were like, and you know, if you had any of those experiences or just in general, like what was the experience of first moving in like versus like now? (laughs) Um, actually the first few months I lived in my camper, I was still in whitefish. Um, I was living in it, um, kind of prematurely because of some, uh, family issues, but, um, so I hadn't planned on being in town and van lifing it. Um, which by the way, it's so much harder, (laughs) um, (laughs) Like I, even now I'm back in whitefish now and still like trying to manage van lifing, um, while being in like, you know, it's not even a city, it's a very small town and surrounded by like technical wilderness. And it's still very difficult. Um, so yeah, my first, yeah. Um, it's just very difficult to like, you know, it's we're not homeless, but it's similar. Like cities are very anti-homeless, anti-van life. It's just really hard to like, try to do anything. It's way easier to be out in the middle of BLM land and do whatever you want. But so yeah, my first few months were like, kind of, um, not rocky. Like it was okay. Um, it was just more of like trying to find like friends driveways to be able to camp in and, um, like a bathroom situations. Cause I don't have a bathroom. And so I think that was like the hardest part. Plus it was also like fall moving into winter. So it was just like very cold. Um, and I have a pop-up truck bed camper, so it's not insulated at all. In fact, it's mostly canvas, <laughs> <So> <laughs> whatever temperature it is outside is inside. Um, and it was actually when I hit the road, it ended up being like so much easier almost immediately. Um, like just finding, like using resources to find camping spots for a night or a week or whatever. It was just like way easier than trying to find a place to park for like a month or two at a time. Um, so yeah, when I eventually hit the road, I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) Like (laughs) this is, this is so much better. (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, after that, I, I never had really any issues. Um, it definitely is a little bit different for me because I have to worry about service because I have a full-time remote job. So I would say that is different than a lot of van lifers is I can't choose spots, um, that don't have service unless it's on the weekend. Um, so I do have to be very like aware of the service situation. Um, um, I can't just, you know, worry about the other normal things like is the spot flat? Um, is it near a highway or not? Like, is there privacy to go like, yeah, (laughs) is it hard to access? Like all of those things I also have to worry about, but on top of that, I'm like, does it have good service? So yeah. Um, and yeah, and in terms of like coming across men and stuff, I actually haven't had any bad experiences yet. Um, I do think a lot of that is, um, preparation, um, and 
not parking near people a lot of times. Um, just doing all the things that we talked about that like men probably don't do. Like I see a lot of men who just like pull into a, an area and then just like park right net near someone. Whereas I'm like, okay, there's a lot of people right here. I'm going to like go off somewhere farther away. Like, so that when they see me alone, they're not like, oh, this woman's alone. Um, you know? So I think that, yeah, there's a lot to be said about what I have done to avoid those type of interactions, but, um, also just not everyone's bad. So that's good too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most people are not bad, Yeah, but <laughs> you just never know. And being alone, like driving five more minutes down that road, you're probably going to get a lot more privacy than mm-hmm. like trying to be at the trailhead like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. <totally. laughs> um, and so you got to spend the winter in Arizona. Like you said, you were going to in the desert with all the sunshine mm-hmm. and that how has, um, I mean, just living on the road in general, how has that affected your mental health? Um, it's, it's interesting. Um, so I left Montana because of the lack of sun, um, and went to somewhere where it was like 99% sunny. Um, and that in and of itself was amazing. Like (laughs) I loved being able to wake up and just count on it being sunny. Um, like I, there were many days that I just like felt just so thankful, (laughs) like waking up and just it being sunny. It was just like, it just felt so, so amazing. Um, and, but the part that was really difficult for me was being alone, um, without like a community, like not necessarily needing like a significant other to be with me. In fact, that like sounds really miserable living with a significant other in my, my vehicle in my, (laughs) but it was more of like, I didn't have like a a set community, um, being new to van life. And so, um, it was just really hard in that. So it was kind of like I traded one for the other. (laughs) It's like, I have the community here, but there was no sun. And so I went to the sun and then there was no community. And so, um, not to say that like my mental health was just like amazing in the desert, you know, um, I definitely still struggled, but it was a different type of struggle. Um, and I think it also helped, like, there are a lot of ways to try to make community in the van, van life community, um, apps and whatnot. But, um, I found myself to be very, um, I don't know. I didn't readily look on those apps for quite some time into my van life journey. Like I would say I didn't, I don't think I made a van life friend for like months, um, up into my journey. And I think it was, um, I'm not quite sure why it was, I just very much like, okay with being alone. And then even when I was lonely, it was still like, I'm, I didn't feel the need to do anything about it, I guess. If that makes yes. sense. Yeah. Um, my first year in the van, I had higher expectations of meeting more community and having more friends. Cause I was a rock climber and the rock climbing van community is like the Venn diagram is almost a perfect circle. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. There's huge overlap. And I just thought it would be so nice and so easy to go to all these climbing areas and like make all these friends and I did not have that experience. I had a really, 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 really hard time meeting people. And I think that that's common. I've had this conversation a few times recently with 
um, other solo women on the road and the community aspect is definitely hard. Um, and so my first year in the van, I tried really hard to meet people face to face in person rather than through any apps. Like some of the apps weren't even there. Like seeker wasn't even a thing. Like mm -hmm. some of these apps didn't exist, you know, three, four years ago. Yeah. Um, and so I remember like one time I was in Tillamook, Oregon, and I was going to the cheese factory and I was so excited. And as I was walking in, this van pulls in and I was like, oh, look at that van. Like, you know, you know, like you got some solar, you got a propane tank, like, hmm. And then uh, so I got a quick glance at the driver. And like when I saw him in the factory museum area later, I was like, hey, is that your van? <laughs> and I like really tried to put my, like, talk to people, talk to strangers, which for me is not always very easy. Um, I'm an introverted, shy hermit kind of person <laughs> most of the mm -hmm. time. Um, but like, I, I deliberately like put myself out there and was like, what's the worst thing that could happen? He's a jerk and we don't talk. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I tried, like, it's all about that, like practicing how to talk to people, like practicing how to make conversations with strangers. Um, and like, I got better at it, but it was still really hard, you know? And sometimes you go to these like public lands and you're like, oh, look at all these vans. I'm going to go park alone. I don't want to <laughs> be near you, but I 100%. see you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're and like, you're like, oh, look at this community. I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Like, but then you're like, oh, I'm kind of lonely. It'd be nice to have a friend. Yeah. But also like, I like being alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. There, there we'll is a story. Back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I think too, like it, it, it does tie into being a woman too. Cause it's like, there's been times where I've like been out near a man van lifer and been like, Oh, like they look really cool, but like, do I trust them? And mm -hmm. I did meet a guy when I was, um, in van lifing, when I, I took a trip down to big bend and we were at an actual campsite this time. Cause I, there wasn't like a lot of boondocking down there. And he even said later, he was like, you were really closed off when like we first started talking, like you could tell, he was like, you could tell that you were like trying to like size me up and be like, who are you? What, what are your intentions for this, you know, yeah. interaction? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. yeah, I'm really sorry. It just like takes me a second to trust people. Like I have you to like apologize for that. I, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But I was like, I just need to like feel you out and like, be like, are you normal? Like, do you have good intentions? Um, but after that, we were like really close. And so yeah, it does suck sometimes being a woman because I think it does limit our friendships. And But beyond that too, I think that there is kind of, it's kind of clicky in van life sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> when people have been in van life for a while, they have their van life friends and they're like together. Like there were times I put myself out there, um, specifically one time in Sedona, I parked near this, um, these other two women specifically, I was like, Oh yeah, like I'll park near these girls and we'll like be friends. And they like wanted nothing to do with me. Oh, um, it was super sad. Um, I like, even like I parked near them and I was like, Hey guys. And they were like, Hey, and then like went back to talking to each other. And, um, and I like parked and set up and walked over to them. And I was like, Hey, just so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Sammy. This is Charlie, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was like, would you guys like to have a fire later or something. And they're like, well, we haven't seen each other in a really long time. So I think we're just going to like hang out with each other. And I was just like, okay. Like, you know, it was like hard for me to like put Aww. myself there. And then 
they were very clicky and like not open to making a new friend. Um, and so that was just like really disappointing. Um, and that was like probably the most like upfront example of that, but in that does happen a lot. Like there are like areas where you park that like you could tell there's like three vehicles parked in a way that they're like, Oh, they're friends. If I were to just like pull up and be like, (laughs) they'd be like, why aren't you parked like a mile that way? You know? Um, you can tell where the neighborhoods are. (laughs) So there is like a clickiness to van life too. And so since I was like super new and like literally knew no one, um, it was like, I had to like find someone else who also didn't know anyone. Like that would be like the way to make friends. Um, So there is that aspect of van life too, that I think was like kind of disappointing for me. Um, yeah, because it felt like this very open community that I was joining, but it's, that's not actually true a lot of the time. Yeah. So one thing, two, two things about that. Um, one van life is filled with humans (laughs) and humans are not always spectacular to each other. Um, and so that's something that, you know, I, I, people would ask me about the community aspect of van life or um, other vanners that I meet or tell me like, oh, my neighbor's son's best friend's roommate just bought a van and you guys should be friends. And I'm like, that's not exactly how that works. Um, <laughs> just because like we're all humans. And yeah, like we're humans who are making a deliberate choice to live our life in a specific way. And so we do have some things in common. Awesome. But they're still humans and not all humans are great people. Um, Thing the second, uh, I think that meetups are a really good way to insert yourself into communities and like make more friends. Um, My first foray into van life, I moved into my van on January 1st and I drove from Denver to Quartzsite, Arizona to the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous. I didn't know anybody there. I wasn't planning on meeting up with anybody there. I I mean, other than like 20,000 other banners, but I didn't have anybody specific that like I knew was going, I didn't know anybody. Um, And that was a really good way to meet people who were also new to van life or not Um, just like to meet other people. And the hard part I had there was meeting other people, my age, Um, (laughs) which is fine. We found each other, you know, like a a beacon in the night. Oh my God, a young person. Let's be friends. Um, and so I would definitely recommend going to events like that. Um, I didn't, I still to this day have not been to any paid events. I've only been to free events, but I think paid events are also a way, you know, I mean, the people who are going there are choosing to go there and be there and like, they're going to make community. That is the purpose of a meetup. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, some, like I haven't been to a lot of meetups because they didn't align with my lifestyle and my goals and like where I was going and stuff like that. So that can also be a challenge. Yeah. But if you have the ability, I would recommend going to a meetup as well. But it's, it's just, it's not easier to make friends in a van than it is to make friends in a stationary life. At least making friends no. as adults is hard. Maybe I should no, have an episode on that, how to make friends as an adult. <laughs> yeah, I actually, um, if you want to make this episode about it, no, I, 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 came back to whitefish and realized like I had a community here and I knew a lot of people, but I didn't feel close to anyone because the one person who I really felt close to, um, for the last few years, they moved, um, or last fall. And so I like came back and I like, didn't have my like anchor here anymore. And so what I ended up doing, which is actually how I had met her was I rejoined Bumble BFF, 
Um, So Bumble has the BFF version of it. So you don't have to use it for dating. You can use it for friendships. So um, what I've been doing since I've been back is Bumble BFFing and trying to meet new people because I, I was like not meeting people the way that my job is fully remote. I live in a van or a, you know, camper out in the middle of nowhere. And so it's like, I just like, wasn't meeting new people. Um, so yeah, that's how, I, that's how I've been meeting new people at least. And so, and because you're on this app, it's like a dating app. It's like, Oh, we're both here to like meet new friends. You know, it's like, yeah, you, have, that you intention. have the intention. Yeah. I have the intention. So, um, that's kind of like with van life too. It's like, um, some apps are kind of good for that. Like seeker has that like social aspect and, you know, that's how I ended up meeting Dan was, um, through seeker. And so I, you know, I have made some good connections, but I think that the, the point about meetups is that when I started van lifing, it was still very much in the world of the pandemic. Um, yeah, so I, I felt the year before the pandemic, yeah, and so it was see, social all the yep. time, everywhere. Nobody was sick. <laughs> I do wonder if my first year in a, in van life would have been different if it wasn't in COVID-19 world, because 100%. I felt very uncomfortable at, like, I looked at a couple of meetups and I was just like, how many people are going to be there? You know, like I, mm-hmm. I was fully vaccinated and fine, but like, I don't know if you are. And I had up until that point been very, very careful. Um, yeah. and so like just suddenly like throwing caution to the wind, like didn't feel comfortable to me. And so like, I, yeah, like van life meetups to me, I was just like, I'm not there yet. Like one-on-one felt way more safe and like controlled, um, in a way. And so I, yeah, I, I, I even think it'll be different this coming winter, but, um, yeah, yeah, just this last winter, I just was like, you know, how many people are going to be there? And like, and also it was kind of like funny seeing, hearing people's stories coming back and being like, yeah, and -and so-and-so got COVID and -and so-and-so got COVID. And I was just like, okay, so I feel like I made the best decision for myself, like not going. And so, yeah, it it was just very isolating on top of it being up in the pandemic. So. Yeah, completely agree. I totally agree. 100%. There were definitely meetups that happened in the last two years that I was like, I just don't think that's a good idea. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just not going to go. Um, and I've said this so many times, I am so, so, so grateful that I did have my first year in the van pre-pandemic. So I could figure out like the kinks of living in a van without also having the kinks of living in a pandemic. Um, and the pandemic made living in a van a lot harder. And I couldn't, part of me couldn't believe how many people were starting it during the pandemic. Like I, a lot of people were laid off or working remotely for the first time and they had all this freedom and let's go travel. Great. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But also how much harder is that to figure out, yeah. to navigate, like when you don't have access to libraries, coffee shops, rec centers, gyms, you know, for like all of our basic necessities, like showering and work and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was very astounding to me how many people joined the road during mm-hmm. the pandemic. So I was like, you, this is so hard, like more power to y'all. Cause I, can, I don't know if I could yeah. do it. Um, yeah. I even feel lucky. Cause I mean, I did it, it be, you know, in 2021. So we were still in the pandemic, but it wasn't that like year where like quite literally everything was shut down. Like, yeah, I also can't imagine that. Cause even last year, some of like the rec centers and libraries were still like either shut down or like in very weird hours, like only a couple days a week. And like, yeah, yeah, it totally affects 
everything that you do. Like you go into town to take a shower and it's like closed and you're like, okay, well, this is like my one day that I was going to like drive the hour into town to go do all my things. And now I can't. So it's like, what do I do? I come back another day, but that's like so much gas. And yeah. Um, also gas wasn't $6 a gallon then, but still a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't even talk about gas prices right now. Like I am like, I'm driving my truck around without my camper on it, but like it's diesel and it costs, oh my gosh. I like, (gasps) yeah, I'm so like, I'm, I'm stationary for now and I really don't have to drive that far. Like my town is very small. So unless I want to go to a bigger city or like do something more interesting, like the longest I have to drive anywhere might be like 10 minutes. And I had to fill up the other day and I was like, Oh, this hurts. And, and like when I was traveling a lot in the van, there were times when I had to fill up at least once a day, every day for a week or more, depending on how much traveling I had to do to get where I was supposed to be going. I couldn't imagine doing it now. I'd be so broke. I mean, driving from Montana, basically down to Arizona cost me twice as much going back because of the the gas prices going back. And now they're even higher. So I think at this point it would cost me probably two and a half times as much just for the same length. And so like, I'm even thinking of like, when I'm driving down this winter, I'm like, I'm going to have to like save up for the gas. Cause like you said, like when you're um, trying to get to a place, Mm -hmm. it's cause like, yeah, you fill up basically every day, once a day. Um, once and you when you're going and you can camp for a week and not drive. Yeah. It's amazing. And, you can save and so I, much money. And I was so great about that. Like when I like found my place in Arizona, I would go into town once a week for all of my chores. And then I was like in the wilderness for the rest of the time. Like I'm not the type of van lifer who like changes places. Like when I find like a, a good place, as we've talked before with like all the, 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 you know, the things that you want, like flat ground trails, good service, not that loud, so on and so forth. Like, I'm like, I'm sticking around, you know? Um, and so I did, I think I was in a place for like three months and it was great, but, um, I don't drive very much, but yeah, getting there is going to be like hefty. It's going to be thousands of dollars. Um, and that is like, I've literally thought like, there's been moments I'm like, do I want to do that? Like, is that still worth it. But then I think about, you know what rent here is so crazy right now. Like I fully intended when I bought my vehicle that I would just be in it for the winter. And then I would get a place to rent for the summers while I was still here. And I mean, rent, if I wanted to live by myself and have a dog, which by the way, would almost be impossible to find would probably though cost me about $2,000 a month. And that would be like lucky to find. Um, there are people who have been kicked out of their rentals because people are up and selling houses under them like constantly. Um, I talked to a woman, she was like, yeah, I had to like, the only apartment that was open was $2,500 a month. And I was like, well, the fact that you couldn't even like consider that means you make a lot more money than I do because yeah, I don't make that much money. Well, and um, so often they have that, like, you have to prove that your income is three times what the rent is and like all yeah. these things, especially, and then you have a dog and it's like, oh my gosh, just out the fucking yeah. window. Yeah. The rental market is 
like the housing market in general, renting or buying is bananas right now, especially in tourist towns like yeah. Whitefish or Big Sky mm-hmm. or, you know, anywhere in Colorado or, you know, all these places that people are like so desirable and they want to live. Yeah. But then like the local people who actually work there and sustain the town can't afford to live there. I'm happy. Just a whole actually, episode in and of itself. I know. Right. <laughs> um, just a little bit on that. I actually like went into like, um, cause I came back and had a house sitting gig for three weeks. And I was like really thankful because it was still like the beginning of May and it was raining a lot and cold still. So I was glad to be able to like have a home base that was inside and heated and, and what, whatnot. But anyway, it was like this, you know, really cute two bedroom house, um, outside of whitefish in a different town, but they had like redone a lot of it anyway. So I was like, Oh, this is just like exactly what I want. And so I was like feeling that feeling the emotion of like, you know, I'm not someone who wants to do van life forever. I know that I want a house. And so knowing that being in that like house sitting in this perfect little house, I was like, this is great. And then, so there just happened to be, I was out walking Charlie in the house next door, put up a for sale sign and they had an open house. And I was like, let's see, (laughs) um, three bedroom, little house, beautiful yard, on the corner of a like little suburban part and, um, $600,000 for three bedrooms. And I, I looked at the Zillow and when I graduated college nine years ago, that house was being sold for under $200,000. And I was just like, I honestly, like I went into like this pit of depression because Mm -hmm. it was like, okay, I took the time. I like I went out to Alaska and worked and I became a hiking guide. And I did all this, like I did all this living and I don't regret that at all. But because I took the time to go on a different path, um, and not stay the course of like what you're supposed to now that I'm ready to own a home, it is literally impossible for me to. And so, and beyond that, the community that I'm a part of and that I've decided that I want to be a part of and have put down roots here, they keep making decisions that do not align with keeping me here. So it's like, whether I want to stay here or not is like almost not my decision anymore because I'm going to be priced out. I've already been priced out of the housing market. I'm priced out of the rental market. And soon I'm probably going to be just like, unable to even manage living here in terms of any terms, any type of cost. And so it's just, it's, it's so upsetting because it's like, okay, there's this community I want to live in and buy a house in and be a part of. And I like work for Montana. Like my job is for a nonprofit based here. I help local farmers and ranchers sell their food more widely. And like, so I'm like doing something for my community and I am not welcome here basically. And I'm just like, it's, it's baffling and it's depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I've seen that happen in so many places of the country and so many of my friends, you know, trying to put down roots and make their communities better. And, you know, I think that our generation is unique in the sense that, you know, we want more purpose in our work. But sometimes, you know, to play the game of capitalism and politics and everything else, it's it creates um, the perfect storm for us to just 
completely be shit on time after time after time. And then we get apathetic and then, you know, we get bitter and (laughs) like, I don't like there are other ways to do things, but it is so different than how it used to be. And it doesn't have to be this way. Hi guys, just wanted to take a moment and pop in with a suggestion for those of you who want to uh, take yet another step to better your communities, whether that be your local community or the global community at large, and that would be using the app Rerouted to buy, sell, and donate used outdoor gear. We all know that being in the outdoors is wonderful and amazing and healing and awesome. It can also be cost prohibitive for somebody who is just getting started and uh, being able to buy and sell and even donate your used outdoor gear is a complete game changer in terms of committing to access and sustain it sustainability and affordability for all of their users. And so if this is something that you're interested in, we have a link in the show notes that will get you 10% off of your first purchase from Rerouted. And if you have uh, too much gear like me, contact me directly and I can put you in touch with them to get 10% off of your first five listings. It's just another option for those of us who are looking to make a more positive impact in the world. Okay, back to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are still parts of the country where there are affordable houses like the area that I live in is still affordable. Although the locals here don't think it's affordable. Like they think this is gentrification and it is, but it was just so affordable before that now this is what we consider affordable here. And um, it's, it's really interesting and there's no like quick fix. There's no easy fix. Um, Especially, you know, towns like this do rely on um, like tourism and guests and out of towners to survive, the town probably wouldn't survive on its own. This one, this one definitely wouldn't. Whitefish might just because so many people up there have money. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, so you like need the tourists, but you also need to take care of the people who actually live there and are like yeah. taking care of the tourists. Well, it's funny because I was like, yeah, like we're a tourist town. Like our summer is based around tourists and it's like, what's going to happen? Like, I don't know. I'm like, do you guys, are you thinking long-term? Like what's going to happen when there is no one left to cater to the tourists? Because the people who are moving here all have like remote jobs from San Francisco or Seattle or, or Colorado or whatever. So it's like, you don't even like your money is not even being made from this community. So it's like, anyway, you come here, people come here because of tourists and Glacier National Park and the, in the mountain for snowboarding or whatever. So it's like, what's going to happen when there's no one left to serve them coffee and pizza and bag their groceries and teach the kids that live here? Like, yeah, there, there's going to be tourists and the people who don't serve them. And then that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. So it's like long-term this, like, it really isn't going to work. It's just, it's a matter of when the other shoe's going to drop and it's all going to implode. Um, and am I going to still be around when that happens? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And that remains to be seen. Um, I do think that this is a really interesting conversation. And so for the listeners, if you have opinions or experience or want to hear more about it, you know, let me know. And we can definitely arrange to have an episode like specifically about like tourist real estate, cost of living, logistics of living, um, in small towns and stuff. Cause I do like, it, it's a thing and it's hard and it's only going to get harder until something breaks. Um, but Sammy, for you, uh, you're coming up on your year anniversary of living in your truck. And at first, you know, you said that you were just going to live in it for the winter and you were going to find some place to live for the summers. Um, what does the future of your truck life road life look like, um, as far as you can tell so far? 
Um, well, based on what we just talked about with housing, it's like, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> um, it's like, you know, I moved into my camper because of mental health and I'm still living in my camper because of lack of housing and a lack of affordability. Um, and so I don't know, it's like, it's definitely remains to be seen. Um, I'll probably be living in my camper for as long as, um, I can and, and, or until, um, I am able to find somewhere to that's like more permanent and affordable to live, but that doesn't seem very likely in the near future, honestly. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it, I actually have thought of this like very little, like I'm like, yeah, like next winter I'll be in my camper. I'll be back probably down in Arizona. And I've probably thought about that up until that point. Um, but I don't know. I, I definitely, um, especially my family have become known for like playing things by ear. Um, whereas I used to be like, you know, five-year plan, have all the plans. Um, so now <laughs> it's, it's fairly seasonal how my life is, is planned out. So as of right now, I have no plans on moving out of my camper for any, anytime soon. Um, uh, in fact, I'm trying to make it more hospitable when I, about two weeks into, um, being on the road, van lifing, my fridge broke. Um, yeah, it was the original from the eighties, um, and worked on propane and also like AC and DC. And so, um, because I'm fairly self-contained, I use it on propane and I need it to be on propane because I'm boondocking most of the time. So anyway, I've haven't had a fridge since like October or November. Um, and I just got off the phone with someone before jumping on with you that I'm going to replace my fridge. <laughs> and Yay. so I'm, I'm, I know I'm like, I'm just working really hard. I'm like, okay, well, this is my home. Like this is like, has been my home, but this is going to be my home for a long time. Yeah. At the time when the fridge broke, I didn't know, um, how permanent it was. So I like was living out of a, uh, basically a cooler, um, mm-hmm. for the last part. So I'm like, well now, like I need to make it like it needs to not be like me sacrificing comfortability all the time because this is my home. So, um, I'm investing. Yeah. I'm nesting. I'm, I'm shelling out the many, many hundreds, um, multiple, many hundreds of dollars for a fridge. Um, and yeah, so I honestly, I'm like, if anything, I'm like doubling down. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually too have been thinking about upgrading to a different type of truck bed camper. Cause as I said before, it's a, a pop-up. And so every time I want to move, I have to pop it down. Um, and so that just requires a lot of like logistics in terms of like the inside of my camper, um, and is kind of annoying. So I've thought about possibly upgrading to a, a hard shell maybe next year. Um, but yeah, if anything, I'm just like, this is it. This is, this is going to be home for a while. So in it until I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's awesome. And it sounds like exactly how you've been doing life, you know, since you left your, your job in DC, um, just doing like following your intuition, knowing when the right decision is coming, um, and taking care of yourself as best as you can in the meantime. So, Hi, Charlie. Oh my God. So 
Um, for everyone who's on the audio version, sorry, you can't see how cute he is. (laughs) Okay. But you can hear how cute he is based on how high pitch we went. (laughs) (laughs) Sammy, how can people come follow you online and see your journey and your adorable dog and your very cool camper and whatever happens next? Where can they come find you? Um, Right now, probably the only place and the place I post most is on my Instagram at it's at Samantha McGowan. Um, and yeah, you can follow me for, um, a lot of content about Charlie, um, (laughs) (laughs) some van life content. Um, but yeah, I try to be really vulnerable, um, on my social media. Um, that's, that's always what I've strived to do, um, even before van lifing. So yeah, you can definitely come on over to my page for, uh, a real life dose of what, what's going on in van lifing world. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. And that's one of the things that I appreciate so much about you and uh, how you choose to share yourself with the world. Cause you know, hashtag van life, hashtag blessed is definitely a thing and uh, it is a blessed lifestyle, but it's also fucking hard sometimes. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here and for being a part of the show. And of course, thank you to everybody who is uh, listening or watching. If you've made it this far in the episode, thank you so much. It means so much to me and to Sammy and to Charlie, of course. And um, if you uh, liked this episode, please go ahead and like it. Thumbs up, five stars, whatever it is on the platform that you are consuming it on. Leave a comment, share it with somebody. If you know someone, maybe like a single lady who needs to make a change in her life, maybe Mm -hmm. share this story with her. Um, And if you want to support the show uh, financially, I do have a Patreon specifically for Deliberate Living. And on that Patreon, you can help offset some of the costs that go into creating the show. It is not free to create. Um, But then you also get access to behind the scenes, extra long episodes, and um, rapid fire question mini-sodes that I have with my previous guests. And I would really appreciate it if y'all came over and did that. Um, And yeah, I hope you guys tune in next week for another excellent episode. Bye.